0: Welcome to the Whiskey Rebellion. This is David Silconet in Edinburgh and joined as always by Frank Cogliano. How are you doing, Frank? Hi,
1: David, I'm doing great, thank you very much.
0: Right, so five days ago we had Joe Biden's inauguration and we thought we'd take this opportunity to reflect upon that inauguration, try to put it in some context with with other uh, presidential inaugurations uh, and see what that says about maybe the future of the Biden administration uh, where the country is today. So, Frank, tell me about your, your read on, on the Biden inauguration. How does it fit in your rankings of presidential inaugurations?
1: Well, one thing I was struck by, David, in watching and reflecting on it afterwards for, for this episode, in fact, is how forgettable most presidential inaugurations are. Uh, You know, in terms of how I would rank it, I'm thinking, okay, of those of my lifetime that I can remember, I can't remember most of them. I remember Obama's in 2009, uh, because of its historic nature. I remember Trump's in 2017, in large part because of his address, his American Carnage address. And then the absurd... Uh, unfolding over the subsequent days about the the debate, you know, with the media over the number of people in attendance. So that was one of the weird ones. But, you know, most of them are actually quite forgettable. It's very interesting. They're a little bit like Super Bowls in that there's a huge amount of hype and expectation around them, but they they don't age very well. But I thought, I actually thought last Wednesday's was really, really, uh, was really really good in the sense it was Mm under very trying circumstances with the pandemic and the aftermath of the attack on the Capitol, uh, they put something together that was quite memorable and moving uh, because of that context. So, so I I think it rates pretty, ranks pretty highly in answer to your question. Although this is not a difficult list to get on, I guess, because it turns out I don't think inaugurations have been all that significant historically. What's your view? Uh,
0: Well, I think the, the inaugurations that have been significant historically tended to be sort of, Fall into two to, to camps: one are our inaugurations that happen at um, auspicious times, and therefore the the event itself takes on ad gravitas because right. of that. So we think about Lincoln's two inaugurations. We think about about FDR, you know, giving uh, the, his his first inaugural at the at the height of the Great Depression. Um, you know, those are important events because those were important moments for the, for the newly elected president to articulate, uh, you know, uh, the nation's response to a particular crisis. Um, the other ones that are memorable are ones that are, are uh, where the president says something that is eminently quotable, something like, you know, the Kennedy's inauguration, right. um, where you know with the with the not" quote that he that he stole yep. from his high school headmaster? Um, do you know that story? I don't. Okay, so 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 John Kennedy went to went to went to uh, the Choate School, which is um, your high school, David, which is also my high school. <laughs> yes, you see. So um, I lived in his room one year. Anyway, um,
1: Man suppose, of the People, David Silkenhead. <laughs> exactly.
0: I, I my but anyway. Um, it supposedly the, the head, headmaster of the school Had once said, ask not what, what, what your school can do for you Ask what you can do for your school So, you know, uh, maybe it was an homage Or plagiarism, call it whatever you want to You know, those things get, are easy to sort of clip And they've you know, been repeated ad nauseum uh, I guess the only other one that people remember is um, William Henry Harrison's inauguration Because it was three hours and it led to him dying other yeah. than that, you know, they, 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 I think you're right, they tend to be somewhat pro forma with, with you know, and there's been sort of a ritual that have developed around them, especially in the 20th century about sort of about how they're structured. Um, some of them are quite bad. If you read the speeches, like inaugural speeches, it's a very hard speech to give because it's hard to sort of, they tend not to be very deep into particular policy questions, so you tend to get into platitudes. Um. If you read George Washington's second inaugural address, and I know you, you've probably read this, he basically says, I really should have come up with a good speech for this event, but I it didn't, I didn't do it. So uh, maybe in the future, I'll think of something important to say, um, you know, and it, it's like a paragraph. Um, and obviously the sort of media landscape has a huge effect upon
1: that. Well, and Jefferson's two inaugurals are actually quite good, but they were written to be read, I mean, he was a yes. terrible public speaker, but also just in the media environment. So, so you know, Jefferson famously walked to his inauguration, his first, um, you know, in contra- in contrast to Washington, you know, and, and Adams riding in Cochin 4, um, you know, so this was a kind of democratic statement. But he went he went to the, basically to Congress, mumbled through his speech, but the speech, his first inaugural has the, you know, we are all Republicans, we are all Federalists. It's a sort of, and this often gets invoked at, partisan moments, which is to say always, uh, as, as a call to unity, uh, not dissimilar to Biden's actually, uh, but it was written to be read and indeed stands up pretty well because of that. As, as a piece of prose, it's quite good, but it wasn't meant to be delivered in the way that Kennedy's, you know, yeah. famous uh, speech was in 61 or uh, have, anyway. Have you ever been to an inauguration? I have not, but David, tell us about your experience going to inauguration, an inauguration. Yes, because I've I think been... the timing is very important here, please.
0: Well, so I've been to one inauguration, uh, and that was Bill Clinton's uh, inauguration in uh, January of 1993, uh, and, that's, and on a bus to that uh, inauguration, which I took from the uh, Joe, uh, Rosemary Hall uh, school where Kennedy went, and I also attended, uh, on the bus to the inauguration, I uh, met the person who is now my wife. And so we met uh, and spent the day together. It was, uh, it was very cute. Uh, and you
1: recently had a big anniversary. Congratulations. Well, yeah, thank
0: you. It's our 25th anniversary. I'm, I'm sure all these biographical details are really what people tune into the podcast for um, <laughs> equally as, as uh, revelatory as our historical analysis. Uh, but if you go to the inauguration, you actually can't unless you're somebody important, uh, you might stay at home, honestly. I mean unless you're looking to meet the love of your life, which happens occasionally. These things, um, you know, if you go, you can't actually hear the speech. You can't see any of the people. Uh, I saw a bit of the parade. Um, I heard bits and pieces of, of uh, Maya Angelou's poem that she read uh, in 1993.
1: Uh, so what is so, so where were you? You were you on the mall, the National Mall? I was, I, yeah, I was on the
0: mall. The we moved. We moved around a bit, trying to get to a place where we could peer things but you know the the sound system wasn't great and uh yeah we saw a bit of the parade um but
1: uh although presumably it is a little bit better now because i would imagine you know sound technology but also with big screens it's a bit like when you go to big concerts now you're a million miles from the stage but you can still see it because it's on a it's on a big screen
0: um the difference is that usually when you go to a concert it's not january in dc uh (laughs) And you're, out, <laughs> you're outside all day, so so um, you yeah, uh, know uh, stay at home, people. It's more fun to watch them at home.
1: Okay, so so um, well, uh, we we are, I, I want to take a minute and, and reflect on on the events of last mm. Wednesday because I actually think it was a a good inauguration <laughs> and an important one. But let's reflect on the kind of historic ones of the past, if you will, the greatest hits. So your you would say, and I think I agree with you. So we've got FDR in 1933 would you, Kennedy in 61, just because I think Kennedy in 61 is important for, for laying down the foundation for the modern inauguration as a ritual, as we now do it more or less. So that I fair? I think that's
0: right, yeah. I think that's, that's, that's fair, okay, um,
1: yeah. And the, I mean, there are historically significant ones like Lincoln in 1861, but as I'm talking about the inauguration itself, in, and was, Sorry, why is Harrison's important? We kind of glossed over oh,
0: that. Oh, uh, you know, he gives a three-hour speech in uh, March uh, in, in, you know, D.C. He doesn't wear a hat. He catches a cold a month and he dies a month later. Uh, and many people have attributed the length of his speech and the weather to uh, his, his death. It's a stupid story you tell in undergraduate lectures if you're looking to fill an extra two minutes of time. Right. um but it's not uh not particularly important if you read the speech it's he throws in lots of historical references that' are quite interesting and tell you something about his views of 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 uh, the Roman republic but beyond that, it's not worth thinking about too much
1: right okay so so would you add any to that list then um uh
0: No, I think that's the that's the the ones that I think are are the uh, most uh, memorable, um, you know. And, and like you, I was thinking back on the ones that I've I've seen in person or at least watched in person. Um, even the ones I remember liking at the time, I can't remember anything about them. Like I can't remember anything about I me. Mean, I remember Obama's inaugurations as being important because of the symbolic uh, significance of Obama's. Uh, presidency. Um, I remember all the people who were excited to go to Obama's inauguration because of of that milestone. Uh, But in terms of anything he said,
1: I couldn't remember. Which is ironic because Obama is a very, very gifted orator and writer. And so I remember thinking, oh, that's very impressive. But again, there's no, that's not what your country can do for you uh, moment there
0: yeah I mean it's a very hard thing to do I don't you know the, the thing we the thing we remember about Trump's inauguration four years ago, which of course is the the genesis of this podcast um, yes, that's of true. our first episode in response to to Trump's inauguration uh, is that his the tone of that was totally off kilter with the with the traditions that have been established um, you know the the whole American carnage Rhetoric seemed so discordant with with sort of what we expected from this this event, um, although gets Trump. So you know,
1: yeah, I mean, we don't have to go back to two thousand seventeen now, but uh, thank God. But uh, <laughs> it's slightly strange because one of Trump's core messages, if he had one, was an appeal to this mythic idealized American past, and inauguration addresses frequently use that kind of language. So it's, mm. it's it's actually quite surprising he didn't just kind of, you know, go with main patriotic themes and be slightly optimistic in a kind of Reagan language. They all do it. I mean, Biden did. It. Uh, you know, there's a kind of, there's almost a sort of um there's there's a rhetoric around inaugural addresses that's pretty consistent regardless of the party and regardless of the circumstances and he didn't do that i mean let's not we don't have to discuss the the last one i think we need to talk about the
0: this one, this one the, yes. the one
1: that just happened but i th- there was an interesting kind of moment and, and lost did, i guess
0: what what did you think about the speech itself
1: i thought the speech was really good i thought uh in fact i i had a zoom call with my siblings the other night and we all agreed on that i think it was Picks perfect for this moment, which is a very, very dangerous and, uh, moment in the history of the United States, both given the, um, the public health crisis around the pandemic, but also uh, the political and social crisis arising from the end of the Trump presidency, the attack on the Capitol, et cetera. I thought it struck the right note of gravity. I think the call for unity, was important and well made, but it was tempered by a call for justice as well. And I think I, I you know, I don't think it was a, a kumbaya. Let's all just come together and forget the past. Uh, I don't think that was his message. I, th- I, I think, I think he really, I think at a ve- at a crucial moment, especially for starting his his presidency. Biden nailed it, frankly. I think he struck just the right tone. And when you think about his history, he's not a great public speaker, in part because of his, you know, the fact that he overcame uh, a stammer as as a young man. Uh, He's just never been a great public speaker, frankly. But I think he really, you know, with, with all the pressure on, I think he, he delivered. I think it was, it was quite a powerful speech. It's almost unfortunate for him that he was succeeded by the Youth Poet Laureate, Amanda Gorman, who was just mm. so fabulous and, you know, and, and so powerful. <laughs> I mean, she blew everyone away, frankly. Yeah. Um, but I think Biden, it wasn't just, oh, he did what he had to do. I think he, he, he cleared the bar with uh, a lot to spare. What did you think?
0: Uh, well, just about uh, Amanda Gorman, I, I would agree with you that that was an extraordinary, both an extraordinary poem and it was an extraordinary performance. Um, she is the sixth poet to, to give a poem at the inaugural address, uh, at the inauguration. Um, Kennedy had, had, had Robert Faust. Uh, Clinton had, had, had two poets, starting with Maya Angelou, and Obama had two poets. Uh, and I read all the poems uh, this morning and hers, I thought, was actually the best poem. Right. Um, I mean, Maya Angelou's was good. Robert Frost doesn't actually hold up all that well, at least. But I'm not a poetry critic, so what do I know? Um, but I thought that was extraordinary. Uh, the speech itself, I was, you know, the things that struck me were... Uh, obviously, the number of historical allusions that he makes in the poem, that's quite common in, in, in inauguration, inaugural addresses. Uh, but, you know, I think he gave a, a sort of a specificity that, that um, was somewhat unusual, uh, you know, the, 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 that he quoted Lincoln three different times from three different moments in Lincoln's life. Uh, which struck me, he quotes Lincoln when he talks about the Emancipation Proclamation. He talked, he quoted the first inaugural, and he quoted the Gettysburg Address. Um, you know, he tried to sort of situate the moment we're in, but with with the pandemic and and the the insurrection and the. Uh, climate crisis, you know, within a historical context, saying you know, uh, he compared it to the Civil War and the Great Depression and the World Wars and 9-11. I thought that was quite interesting. He noted that the Capitol Dome was erected during the Civil War. I thought that was interesting. He made a reference to MLK. He makes a reference to Arlington. Um, He talks about ending this uncivil war, which I think was an interesting uh, turn of phrase that I, I sort of echo your, your sort of calls for, for unity. Uh, and, but one of the things that struck me, uh, and this sort of struck me really throughout the Trump presidency, and, and, and I think Biden's a shift from this, and I've been thinking about this a lot in the past few weeks, what, You know, one of the central conceits of a democracy is you get elected by a majority of people, but then you try to rule for everybody whether they voted for you or not and and most american presidents have sort of of paid lip service to that idea
1: or explicitly said that i mean it's that itself has become a bit of a cliche um,
0: and trump was i think you know very much a step outside of that tradition trump constantly was was sort of articulating that he was governing for the benefit of the people who voted for him and you know not for the people who didn't. Uh, and you know this question about loyalty and all these other kinds of things. Uh, and so it was, you know, it was really heartening to see Biden return to, that, to the rhetoric that he was trying to, to, to his presidency was for the benefit of, of Americans, whether they voted for him or not. Um, to be sure, of course, that rhetoric is both admirable and always something of a fiction, but because uh, you have to do make policy choices. Uh, you know the other thing that really struck me about his inauguration, and it, it struck me because nobody commented on it, was how often Biden referenced his, his Catholicism. Uh, Biden is, of course, the second Catholic president after John Kennedy. And Kennedy, uh, you know, when he ran for president in 1960, had to consciously sort of distanced himself from his own uh, religious faith. And here, I think Biden was was quite explicit in in sort of both highlighting uh, his, his faith and, and drawing attention to it. Um, and I thought that was striking that that almost nobody mentioned that particular element of it, but I thought that was a, a, something worthy of note. Um, Kamala Harris's... Um, Inauguration as vice president is obviously very historic as the first woman to to hold that office, the first uh, African-American to hold that office, the first woman uh, of, of Asian descent to hold that office. I kind of wish vice presidents got to give an inauguration address too, uh, just because I think that would be interesting. Um, yeah, those those are the things that struck me. Uh, I really liked Lady Gaga's uh, you know, uh, version of, of the national anthem. Um, I'm not a huge Lady Gaga fan, or at least I wasn't when, I, when she first came out. But she's she's grown on me, and I, I really did. Uh,
1: you see her in her Stars Born? She was really
0: good in that. Yeah, yeah, no, no. She yeah. like she, she, she was somebody who I thought was a sort of bad Madonna knockoff when she first appeared on the stage. But I think, uh, she's uh, she she has grown on me in a variety of ways. And I thought she was, uh, her performance was quite impressive. Garth um, Brooks, I didn't like so much, but that's a you know stylistic thing.
1: Right. Well, although well, Garth Brooks was interesting because that was a, that was part of the call for unity, you know. Yeah, and, uh, I mean, I didn't like his performance either, and, and clearly he hasn't mastered social distancing yet either, you know. <laughs> sort of, but uh, I mean, I, the Catholicism thing is interesting, David. I think because it speaks to changes in the culture in the past 15, early 60 mm-hmm. years, um, or 60 years, I should say. Yeah, it's, uh, it's exactly 60 years uh, in the sense that. Kennedy's message had to be, yes, I'm Catholic, but that's not a danger to you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And now the kind of degree of anti-Catholicism and the real sectarianism that used to characterize American religious life, I mean, the the Protestant Catholic divide was a serious thing in the mid-20th century and before that, uh, just doesn't pertain now because the real cleavage is between people of faith and people of no faith or between Christians broadly defined, including Catholics and, and non-Christians. And, and, and I think, I, I completely agree with you. I mean, I think Biden's ceremony was suffused with Catholicism in a way, the contrast with Kennedy's 60 years ago was quite striking. So that, that, that was interesting. I was. It led me to think, though, that his, his address Because as I said, I think his address was really good, really well measured, and I think it's one that we will remember, Mm -hmm. although we have to be aware of recency bias. Um, It led me to think of the issue of, okay, what what, what presidents have faced the biggest challenges at the moment of their inauguration? Um, not which presidents face subsequent challenges, but, you know, at that moment, that moment of crisis. And I think there's a close correlation between those inaugurations we remember and those presidencies that started under such uh, dangerous and or um, challenging circumstances. So the, the ones that come to mind, and I, I don't think, you know, this is not, I don't think anybody will be surprised by this list, particularly you. I, I think Lincoln in 1861. <laughs> yes. Um FDR in 1933 facing, you know, coming at the height of the depression. You could argue FDR in nineteen forty-one as well, if you want to kind of corollary to um, depending on how you want to look at FDR. I think we under I think we've forgotten. How perilous the moment was in 2009 when Obama was inaugurated actually given the the aftermath of the financial crisis that seems like small beer now given given what we're now facing but yeah. you know the, the world was teetering in a real um, teetering on, on the brink of what could have been another depression in, in 2009 um, so I think that's an important moment as well and I think Biden is up there I, I mean I, I don't know what, I don't know that you can rank these things but I think I don't know where you rank the challenges Biden faces between the pandemic, the economic crisis arising from the pandemic and the political and basically security crisis facing the country because of um, the attack on the capital and the, the things that caused the attack on the capital, which we've talked about over recent weeks. But I think it's up there with FDR in 33, at least. We're not, thankfully, we're not a civil war. Yeah, yes. Um, I
0: mean, I think- <laughs> What the, do you think? Well, I, I think the closest, I think- uh, analog is 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 fdr you know in as much as as there's a a the the kind of crisis we're facing right now i think is more analogous to 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 the great depression um and i think you know looking at what fdr did in his first few days in office and looking at what biden has done in the past five days um strikes me as a similar sort of uh uh, note in as much as you know, FDR established a bank holiday. Uh, you know, Biden has done a-, a whole number of things in his first five days. Uh, you know, rejoining the Paris Climate Accords and the World Health Organization, repealing the, the Muslim travel ban, uh, halting the border war, uh, moratorium on evictions, et cetera, et cetera, canceling the Keystone XL pipeline killing the 1776 commission, uh, which is important to historians and probably nobody else. Um,
1: well, and even using the 100 days as a unit of measurement, measurement to, to, yeah. to judge a new administration, that, that goes back to FDR. Uh, and, and that was in response to a crisis.
0: Yeah. Uh, so now, you know, the difference, I do sort of pragmatic level between FDR's situation and, and Biden's, is that FDR commanded a, a, a fairly hefty support within Congress, was able to to pass a whole series of of, of, of you know the beginning of the New Deal, uh, pretty quickly. I don't envision that 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 President Biden will have the same kind of ability to to uh, railroad things through Congress, uh, given given the precarious nature of the Democratic control of both houses. Um, which I think is going to, you know, it's going to, and given the complexities of of, of having a an impeachment trial for President Trump, well, that's right, uh, is going to is going to make Biden's job particularly difficult, you know. And I think he is, Biden is facing, you know, a series of challenges right now that are that are really quite profound. Um, I mean, I think that the pandemic is is one crisis. The the insurrection and the sort of political uh, crisis that 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 sort of surrounds that is is, is sort of a second um, crisis, and a third crisis that that people haven't talked as much about in the past few months. But I think one that that Biden takes very seriously is the environmental crisis, the global environmental crisis that. You know, was in a, a perilous position four years ago, uh, and and then only became worse under President Trump. I mean, one of the things that really worried me when Trump was elected is is you know I knew on some level things were going to be uh, bad from a policy perspective for his presidency, at least uh, from, you know, given my own politics, uh, but you know i i knew that that four years of inaction on the climate crisis you know can't be easily undone
1: yeah i agree with you although there are the, the two two reasons to hope uh to my mind uh to my way of thinking in response to that particular issue is you know there's a new the, the next big climate meeting is in glasgow later this year and uh, the successor to the the, the paris summit uh that led to the Paris agreement mm. and having the United States there and represented there as a, as an active uh, partner will make a huge difference as opposed to actively seeking to undermine it. The other thing is because of Trump's own, uh, well, they didn't control, the Trump administration faced their own political challenges with Congress, but also because their ineptitude when it came to legislation, much of what Trump sought to do, especially around the environment, but not only around the environment, was carried out and enacted via executive order. And while the damage caused by those executive orders, you're quite right, is profound and may never be corrected, the executive orders themselves can be corrected relatively easily. We'll talk about executive orders, I'm sure, in future episodes, and the problem of using executive orders as opposed to legislation, but but the, the, the raft of things that Biden's done in the past five days that you alluded to are uh, efforts that the president can rather quickly do in order to undo that damage. The problem is, of course, in 2025, a new president could come in and do the exact same thing to all of Biden's executive orders. So the executive orders are problematic, but but much of Trump's environmental damage was carried out via executive order.
0: Or by administrators in the BPA right. and right. other people who- but,
1: but yeah. th- those are things that, Biden as the, that the exec, uh, Biden as the president and the head of the executive branch can take steps to, to, to reverse, if not correct. Yeah. Uh, so, so uh, yeah, anyway, I agree with you. The challenges facing Biden really are multifaceted, each and every one of them. And Biden himself said this in his inaugural address. Mm. Any one of these would be a huge task to face all of them is pretty, uh, is amazing. Biden, you know, we, we used to, we said this about Hillary Clinton four or five years ago, and again, we didn't say, we didn't coin this you know, was the best prepared candidate in history in terms of her experience. Biden is arguably the best prepared person to be president in history in terms of his resume and uh, you know the number of jobs he's done mm. in the executive and legislative branch and just his breadth of experience. One of the downsides to that is he's the oldest president by a significant margin because he's acquired so much uh, experience, but he, he does yeah. have, does have the resume at least or, or the CV to take these roles on.
0: Uh, yeah. I mean, I think that's definitely true. One wonders whether Biden's going to be a one-term president because of his, his age. Um, you know, but looking back at the people who've who've held this office previously, uh, there actually isn't doesn't seem to be a huge correlation between the experience and how well they did in office. In as much as there've been several previous presidents who seem on paper to be really highly qualified, who did a really lousy job. Um, you know, uh, Buchanan had a, a, a you know a resume as long as my arm, and, and did a god awful job. Uh, Hoover likewise was very impressive uh, on paper. Um, also, uh, you know, ranks among among the the most uh, inept presidents, um, or at least ineffective.
1: Um, David, you know, the, the glass is always half empty for you? Okay, on the other hand, yeah, on the other hand, hold he, on, so, let me do this. So, so, you've got Jefferson had a very good resume, had a pretty good presidency. Um, FDR had pretty good pre-executive experience. Eisenhower did. Sure. Reagan actually had been governor of California and was an effective president, whether you agree with his policies or not. You know, George well, H. But- w. Bush was was pretty good on managing the end of the Cold War. Most of his experience was actually in the foreign policy realm. It's it's not all
0: okay, but moving. okay, but but you can also think about like, you know, Lincoln had one term in Congress and uh, you know, uh, several terms in the Illinois state legislature. Greatest president we've ever had, which is, um, I guess, sort of making the point that, that there's a there's a uh, unclear correlation between the amount of preparation and, and the quality of the, the person. Uh, the yeah, but if the you person. had to choose,
1: you'd want if I had to choose experience and, and, and you'd want somebody with experience. We just had somebody with no experience. And experience, that's no true, way. yes.
0: <laughs> yes. Uh, Yes, or at least with n- the experiences that didn't prepare him adequately for the job.
1: Yeah. Um, right.
0: Uh, so, so,
1: so, David, let, let's wrap this up because we're gonna we're gonna be able to talk about Biden's policies, I'm sure, in in, in the weeks and months to come. So, so, we don't we need not spend too much time on that. Uh, one thing, you know, we we would Trump was the first outgoing president since Andrew Johnson not to attend his successor's. Um, inauguration, apart from those who were assassinated, of course. <laughs> um, and you're
0: in spirit, Frank.
1: Yes. <laughs> um, and and uh, we'll be dealing with the legacy of Trump and Trumpism, I'm sure, in future episodes too. So I, I don't want to talk about that per se, but I want to reflect. I just want to ask you, I guess, what I, part, part of the inauguration is it's a transition, right? We, we've heard endlessly about transfers of power, blah, 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 in recent months but it's a difficult transfer for the individual who's giving up the power and some of them do it better than others and so, and again I'm not uh, we've talked about post presidencies in the past mm. and I want to talk about that per se so much as this moment for Donald Trump you know you wake up one morning you're president of the United States you wake up the next you're not and that's a difficult thing to navigate, you know. Mm. So, you know, John Adams famously left Washington in a fit of petulance before Jefferson's administration. You can kind of understand that. I mean, it, it's a kind of human reaction. Um,
0: and of course, when Adams did that, there wasn't the tradition of the two of guys guys together in the character. No, yeah.
1: no, no. That's right. That's right. That's a good point. Um, but, but I want to just take a moment and reflect on, on Trump's transition from being. Mm. President Trump to Citizen Trump again. And I I think of, and I think it was Marina Hind who wrote in The Guardian about about Boris Johnson. You know, he's somebody who really wanted to be prime minister and will really enjoy having been prime minister, but doesn't enjoy she was writing in the present tense, mm. being prime minister. And I think that's a little bit true of President Trump. I think he was attracted to the prospect of being president. And I think he could have imagined the life of being a post-president and enjoying that. Mm. But he clearly didn't enjoy being president very much. I mean, all the insider accounts we have suggest that he was pretty miserable as president, uh, You know, personally miserable. Mm. And I don't think he's gonna get the post-presidency he wanted. I think he would have enjoyed you know, having secret secret service protection for the rest of his life and playing golf every day would have really appealed to him. But it doesn't seem to me that he's going to get that quite as much as he would have liked, although he did get that a lot during his presidency. But Uh, I I guess- He acted
0: like a (laughs) post-president during the presidency.
1: That's right. But I, sorry, uh, this is a long-winded way of asking how you feel feel about Trump's uh, kind of transition from being president to citizen again. Well, I was
0: really- Sort of struck by the last few days Of his his presidency You know everything basically After uh, his second um, Impeachment Or even in some ways After after he got his Twitter account Taken away from him um, That he Basically went into hiding He didn't give any Many public Appearances He gave that very strange Um speech uh at uh but i guess at andrews air force base uh you know on, on before he boarded air force one um uh you know again the tune YMCA of as ymca
1: as well. yes 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 there, yeah, there's a I, there's a phd to be written about the soundtrack of trump events but anyway and i don't
0: i don't <laughs> maybe they just bought the rights to like four songs you know when he was running for president and like that's those are the choices um because that is a very bizarre uh anyway uh you know and i, I was concerned that he was going to be doing doing something crazy at the last minute whether that's slightly crazy like pardoning his entire family and himself or really crazy like starting a war against somebody um but he basically sort of Slinked out of the White House, uh, you know, trying to sort of uh, escape from the party without anybody noticing. Um,
1: it ended with I, a know, whimper, I, really. It ended with a yes,
0: whimper. And, uh, well, I mean, it ended with, in some ways, it ended with the insurrection. So that it ended with a, it ended with American carnage, and then a sort of post note to that. Um, you know, I think he envisioned that there would be a much larger crowd. To send him off at, at, uh, on, when he left, and there was a tiny crowd at the at the, at the air at the Air Force Base, um, and the twenty one gun salute, which he was wonderful. yes, uh, it it is you know telling that you know presidents, at least in, in recent history, ha- have been very generous to their. Uh, successors in large part because they recognize how hard the job is you know we can think everyone sort of points to to george uh walker bush's letter that he left for bill clinton yeah you know where where he talks about about you know you are now the president are are my president and i hope you uh you know uh, are successful in this office um you know and and uh Obama giving, you know, inviting Trump to the White House after his uh, election, and then give, you know, giving him the tour, and Michelle giving Melania a tour of, of you know, all these kinds of things that have become um, part of the ritual uh, of the transfer of power uh, are gone or, or we're, were absent at this time. Yeah, I don't you
1: think. Know, I actually, think we'll we'll see a reversion to. Oh,
0: oh, oh, I think we're going to see a hundred percent. I think the 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 this, but. The Trump administration is going to be a, an anomaly in the trajectory of things uh, going forward, um, and I think all of that was was quite striking.
1: Um, One of the ironies of it, David, is Trump is at his core, and we've talked about this before. Mm-hmm basically a slightly tacky guy from the outer boroughs who always wanted to be accepted what always wanted to be accepted among the elite in manhattan Mm. i mean that that explains his psychology right um and part of that is always wanting to get into exclusive clubs whether it was studio 54 back in the day when he experienced his own vietnam or what have you right (laughs) he could be a member of the most exclusive club in the world that is of living past presidents but he's he's deliberately exile himself from that and will never be a member. I mean, he's technically a member of it, but he's not going to, he's not getting the invitations to go have lunch with his predecessors or, and successor. That's just not going to happen. So, so no. as I said, the most exclusive club in the world, mm. he's willingly or, or perhaps unwillingly, but, but by his actions kind of kept himself out of it. it it's extraordinary.
0: Yeah. Uh, it, it was you know, telling, looking at the inauguration, watching the the, the VIPs on the stage, people from from different political parties, people who have very different views on I any mean, number of issues, talking to each other in in a uh, at least what appear, appeared to be a collegial way, including, you know. Uh, Dan Quayle, who who was sort of wheeled out of no, whoever knows where Dan Quayle has been for the past 20 years, uh, but, you know, brought him out to, to you know, represent that, that wing of the Republican Party. Um, you know, George W. Bush, the Clintons, the Obamas, you know, uh, and various sort of members of Congress were were all there. You know, even Ted Cruz was there, although it's unclear exactly what, what claim he has for anyway. Ted Cruz, Ted Cruz gets on my nerves. Uh, as he seems to do for most of his colleagues Right uh, We will see what the future holds then For the, the Biden administration uh, For people who want to uh, Hear hear more analysis of the inauguration by the way The, the Fennel Forum last week wa- was excellent I don't know whether there's a recording of that Frank Or whether that's available for people to watch who missed it live
1: uh, There uh, is a recording I think that the our colleagues in the events and protocol office are making sure that it has the appropriate subtitles and so on but it will be made available to people on the on the interwebs
0: so. <laughs> on the in- okay so so if you missed the phenyl form and it was it was really quite good uh the only, the only downside was it is that we couldn't couldn't go on all evening i think there were lots of questions that would uh would, would have kept uh kept kept the panelists kept the panelists on their on their seats um right i think it's time for last drop frank what you got
1: well, this is another transition aspect. And, and this received a lot of coverage uh, last week and over the weekend. And I just want to remark on the um, changing decor in the Oval Office. So one of the things that happens during a presidential transition, and they've only got about five hours to do this, is that the uh, Oval Office in particular, but the White House generally is kind of cleaned and redecorated according to the taste of the incoming uh, president. And um, Many listeners will know and remember that um, uh, President Trump had a picture of – Andrew Jackson very prominently displayed to the right of the resolute desk as you face the desk. Uh, and Joe Biden has cha- changed the decor quite considerably in the office, he put a lot of portraits up. He replaced Andrew Jackson with Benjamin Franklin, a famous painting of Benjamin Franklin. Uh, and a moon rock is on the shelf near Franklin. So hmm. people have interpreted this as a kind of statement about his belief in in science, which has been one of the themes that's emerged in the past week. Uh, But opposite the resolute desk, he put a series of portraits, kind of predictable, I suppose, but still making a statement. So he had, uh, if, if memory serves, he's got Lincoln, Washington, Lincoln and Washington on one side, on one side of a quite large portrait of Franklin Roosevelt. And then mm. to the other side, he's got Hamilton and then Jefferson. And people have commented on the fact that Hamilton was above Jefferson uh, in this orientation. I don't know whether there's any symbolism in that or not. But he's making a clear statement, I think, in in the decor he chose for the Oval Office that uh, I think President Biden, that uh, he's choosing a different Path, as it hmm. were, to to a uh, historic path and going to different historic antecedents. He also had busts of uh, Cesar Chavez. He's got a bust of Cesar Chavez behind in the window behind the resolute desk, and um, Eleanor Roosevelt. He's got a bust of Eleanor Roosevelt in, in the Oval Office. So he's cho- and Rosa Parks. So he's chosen to hmm. I think to speak to different American historic traditions than his predecessors. Yeah,
0: the 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 Chavez. Bust, I thought, was particularly striking, just given the, you know, putting George Washington or something on the wall, you know, that, sure, that's obvious. Right, yeah, of course. Um, But, you know, I think Chavez sends more of a a statement about his his values and and sort of things looking forward, especially about immigration and, and, and labor policy and what have you.
1: That's right. And the right wing here in Britain has gone nuts about this because we get, every four year, every time there's a change of administration, the status of the Churchill bust becomes a thing. And the fact that uh, the Churchill bust is gone from the Biden uh, office and is been re- not replaced directly by Cesar Chavez, although people have made that connection, uh, seems to be a statement about Britain's status in the new administration. It's all nonsense, of course. but Yeah.
0: I mean, I've always been confused about why you'd have a Foreign leader inside the Oval Office, anyway.
1: Yeah, I made a I mean, brief visit to Downing Street many years—not many years ago, about ten years ago—and uh, I did not see a bust of FDR in Downing Street, nor Street, would I, no. expected, nor would I have expected to. Uh,
0: to be sure, uh, yeah. Okay, I mean, pe- people can can get hung up over lots of stupid little things. Anyway, it's yeah, his office; la- he can decorate it as he wants to. Exactly.
1: Um, Speaking of stupid little things, David, what's your last drop? Drop. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, well, I think everyone
0: was uh, among the many images uh, and fashion choices of of the inauguration. The one that that seemed to strike people beyond, uh, you know, Lady Gaga's dress and and the various, uh, you know. Uh, dress is worn by, by by Dr. Joe Biden and other people, uh, was Bernie Sanders is, is a apparel. He was wearing the, the coat that he always wears and he was wearing these mittens that have now become iconic. And I was intrigued by the person who made the mittens for, uh, Bernie Sanders, a, a woman by the name of Jen Ellis, who is a 42 year old second grade teacher in Vermont, uh, who, uh, when she's not teaching second grade, makes, makes these very warm mittens made out of recycled uh, wool and lined with uh, uh, fleece that's made from recycled bottles or plastic bottles. So uh, she is uh, an environmentally friendly second grade teacher. She says she has never met uh, Bernie Sanders himself, but she uh, has met Bernie Sanders's, I guess, daughter who works at the school or runs the school where uh, Janelle sends her own child. And so she had made mittens for all the teachers in the school uh, for Christmas a couple of years ago and had made an extra one for, for Senator Sanders. Um, but she said, she's looking forward to meeting him someday. So here's the hopes that she gets to meet uh, Bernie some days. Cause they are now linked forever in history as by the mittens.
1: I'm pretty sure she's going to get to meet him. I think, you know, <laughs> g- given
0: that Vermont, she is, you know, one of the voters in Vermont uh, it's surprised that she hasn't met uh, Senator Sanders. Cause there's uh, you know, not that many voters in Vermont. <laughs> Vermont. Yes, yeah, so you, you gotta make sure you keep them all happy. Right. On that note, Frank. Cheers,
1: cheers. David!
0: The Whiskey Rebellion is hosted by David Silkenet and Frank Cogliano. David is a senior lecturer in American history at the University of Edinburgh, and Frank is Professor of American History and Dean International for North America at the University of Edinburgh. The Whiskey Rebellion is available on iTunes, Stitcher and Podbean. You can follow the show on Twitter at Whiskey Rebel Pod and like the show on Facebook for updates about current and future episodes.